Today's podcast is sponsored by Doit. Reduce your cloud spend by improving your cloud efficiency with Doit, an award-winning strategic partner of Google Cloud and AWS. Find out more at doit.com. That's D-O-I-T dot com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Kubernetes Unpacked podcast. And today's episode, my name is Christina Devochko. I'm Michael Levan. And with us today, we have Brandon Burns. Hello, Brandon. Welcome yeah. to this episode. Thanks for finding the time to join us. We're very excited for today's discussion with you. How are you doing? Cool. Doing good. Yeah, thanks. I'm caffeinated up and ready to go. That's just what we need. I guess right. we're caffeinated as well and ready for a very interesting discussion. Aren't we, Michael? Oh, yeah. This is definitely going to be a good <laughs> one. And uh, Christina and I were just talking prior to this, and we've seen a lot of talks for KubeCon NA coming up around Kubernetes LTS. Uh, so obviously, mm -hmm. other people are thinking about it. Other people are talking about it. So I think this will be a great discussion. Yeah, and I guess this episode will probably come out after the KubeCon and CloudNativeCon NA. So I guess quite a few folks will get to see a few of the sessions on that topic. I think that's the first time. I don't think there were any sessions on that on the EU event back in April. So uh, this is like really, really interesting that now we're getting some traction on the Kubernetes LTS version that I guess quite a few from Microsoft have been working on, right? Yeah, I mean, last year, actually, at KubeCon EU, we announced that we were going to start the LTS. Yes, um, so we didn't really right. talk about it very much because, you know, obviously, it was more of a like a announcement that we were going to do it as opposed to uh, now people are getting down to the nuts and bolts of how you do it. It's something that's been in the community for a long time, like a discussion about it. And I think it's a hard problem. And I think some people get really excited about a technical problem, you know, and like LTS isn't really a technical problem. I mean, there are technical aspects to it, but a lot of it is just providing support and doing hard work. And, you know, I think one of the things that I value actually about the place that we're at and the team that I have in Azure is that there's definitely a focus on like doing right by the customer. And LTS was one of those things where, you know, it's just necessary for a lot of our customers. You know, I was just talking to a regulated telco and, you know, they, they say, look, like if you force us to upgrade every year, we're effectively always talking to the regulators, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think we can have discussions and we can go talk to the regulators maybe and say like, maybe there should be something that isn't so prescriptive about a specific version, but the state of the world right now is that it is. And so like we were putting people on a treadmill that was not very great for anybody. Mostly, I think, because like it's hard work. And so I think finally got into a place where we were like, no, we think we can handle this for Azure. We're going to go do it. But as we do it, you know, we're going to also try and jumpstart the conversation in the community again. And this time, get it mm. done. I mean, I swear, like, ever since the first year, like, a year after 1.0, people started saying, like, well, what about LTS? Because it's not a new concept, right? Obviously, like, Ubuntu has been doing it for a long time. Red Hat has been doing it for a long mm. time for the kernel and for the operating system. Debian has been doing it for a long time. But it just never quite happened for Kubernetes. Mm -hmm. And it kind of fits and starts. But I think hopefully this time around, I mean, certainly we're committed all the way through. We've made promises. We just saw Amazon come out with a similar announcement for, it's not quite the same, but similar announcement for, for EKS. And so I think, you know, we finally got into a place where the community momentum is there to make it happen. So I'm excited about that. And again, as you said, like there are lots of cool talks about it in KubeCon this year as the details start to come out. So excited for that as well. I think it really, like, in my opinion, it has a lot to do with when a project reaches a certain point. Like, Kubernetes is now at a point now where it's not new, you know? It's not the hot, new, sexy thing that everybody's kind of updating and iterating and yada, yada. Like, it is now, you know, I'm doing air quotes here for everybody that obviously can't see me, production ready. So it's now like this production system. So 
implementing something like LTS from an enterprise perspective, again, air quotes, um, makes sense. Like, I think like it's, it's ready, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think you could argue that we were there five years ago, maybe, but again, like I think the way the community works, you know, it's slow. It takes time. I mean, I think you saw the first inklings of this when they moved from four versions down to three versions a year. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Right. Where they're like, okay, like it's not going to be every nine months, something gets deprecated. At least it's one year if something gets deprecated. And, you know, I think this time, you know, we're pushing out to two years and I think eventually we'll probably get to like the four years that uh, Ubuntu has. I think the most interesting thing that we've been, you know, sort of wrangling through, of course, is how do you sort of keep the system in a place where you could then upgrade? Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I think we've all gone through like the Ubuntu 18 to 22 or whatever. I mean, it's painful. Right. Like, and things Right. It's a big jump sometimes. And you do it very carefully. And I think because we've done such a good job in the version upgrades, 124 to 125 to 126, there's kind of an expectation, I think, that a version upgrade is a relatively safe thing. And I think with the LTS, we're going to have to do a bunch of work to make sure that it's similar. Right. So it's going to be interesting to see. Are you planning on having like a dedicated team that will just be working on maintaining the LTS version? It is available like what you did. You forked the Kubernetes repo yeah. and then it's still available. So it's not becoming closed source just because it will be primarily targeting AKS at this point. Yeah, that's right. It's not even, I wouldn't even really call it a fork. I mean, I think we just, you know, we have a GitHub mirror, a Git mirror, basically. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of work in the community around the working group on LTS. So I think it's possible that we'll get to a place where, you know, we've said we'll do LTS on 127. You know, that's going to go out of community support another like six months-ish. I think we may get to a place where actually, even at that point, the community steps up and it's not just the Azure team. It's not just the, the Microsoft team working on that branch. And so our branch, honestly, may never see extra patches because it may be that there's a community LTS branch at that point. But if not, you know, we will be backporting patches. And, and yeah, I have an upstream open source team broadly focused on Kubernetes upstream open source. And and one of their responsibilities is going to be maintaining security backports or reliability backports. We did a little bit of math actually ahead of time because, you know, I think even within my own team, there were concerns about the cost, not the dollar cost, but the time cost. We kind of did the math of like, okay, like how many security and reliability patches did we land in one, two, five, you know, and how hard would it be to backport that to like one, two, one, just to kind of get a sense like for what we were biting off. And it's actually not that bad. If you sort of say like, well, we're not going to do niche, you know, we're not, we're going to only do CVEs and we're only going to do like things that affect the reliability of the server. It's really not that many patches. And, and I think the bigger question sometimes is like, well, if the code has moved on too much, but I think, again, Michael, to sort of your point, like a lot of these places in the code base, they've kind of slowed down, you know. And so I think six, seven years ago, it could you be in the place where a patch like just wouldn't apply and you'd have to rewrite it from scratch and all that kind of stuff. And he, I think we're going to have better luck this time around, you know, because we're a cloud provider. We are also doing a ton of reliability testing all the time. And so like we also can have confidence when we roll out a binary that we've patched for the LTS, that it's going to work because we've run it through a pretty exhaustive test suite. So I think because that's the other fear, I think, is that if you backport the patch, you know, are you causing more problems than, Mm. you know, what is the test? Because it's not going to get tested by the mainstream upstream open source EDE testing, right? But I think we have enough test infrastructure in place that we'll get that testing done too. 
Yeah. I guess you touched upon a very interesting point there, Brandon, when you mentioned that regarding kind of things changing in some areas of Kubernetes, of the core Kubernetes project. And this is something that me and Michael have actually been discussing in one of the previous episodes as well about like Kubernetes core getting boring, air quotes from me this time. Yeah. And this maybe has been kind of one of the primary challenges for why we haven't seen an LTS version happening in the core Kubernetes project, because things have been so dynamic changing all the time that it was it would have been difficult for the community to maybe maintain many versions over a longer period of time and for it to kind of be sustainable in an open source project but now we really see that it has become pretty mature and stable so do you like believe that we will get to see such an LTS version in the near future in the core Kubernetes project as well I think so that's certainly that's our goal Right. Like we don't want to maintain an Azure LTS. Mm -hmm. Right. Frankly, it's cheaper if, for us if we get the community to like it's cheaper for everyone. Right. Like rather than having an Azure one and an AWS one and a VMware one or whatever. Right. Like if we all come together, it will be better and it will be cheaper. Right. So I, th I think we absolutely want to see that community LTS. And we, we're working on, I mean, we restarted the um, working group, the C Kubernetes community working group around LTS. We've been having meetings with people across the industry discussing what it takes. So that's definitely the path that we're taking. With everything in the community, it's kind of like, if you ask me to predict exactly when something's going to happen, I'm probably not going to be able to do it with a lot of clarity. But I think it is going to happen because there's enough interest and, and we've said we're going to go do it. I think that's kind of what it took. You know, I think if you look at LTS in general, it's something that's done by people who have customers, right? It takes someone saying like, okay, we have to do this because our customers need it. Our customers are in pain. And then that's the motivation to go do the work. Because I don't think, I mean, you know, I don't want to take away from anybody who like sits up in the morning and is like, LTS is the thing that I want to go do. But like, I think if you're just contributing to the open source project sort of because you're excited about the project, I'm not sure it's the thing that you go gravitate to. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's why it's been such a challenge is if you sort of think about like all of the different things you could do in the project and you have that volunteer effort. And, you know, I think always the project kind of has needed more volunteer effort. You know, the volunteer effort is going to go to certain parts. Right. And I think one of the benefits we have as a cloud provider is, you know, we're going to be responsive to what our customers need, not just to like the thing that is the most exciting that gets us up or rather maybe put it another way, like doing the right thing for our customers is something that gets us out of bed in the morning. And so, you know, that helps as well. Right. I think that's that's what enabled us to go to go do it. And, you know, to be honest, it was partially me just sitting down with the team and saying, like, you know, what's the worst possible thing that could happen? Because I think a lot of it was also a little bit of fear of uncertainty because mm -hmm. it's like once you make the commitment right like it's kind of one of those things where you're like once you say it's lts you have to stick with it right <laughs> like you can't and and you're not entirely sure what it looks like because like who knows what the next backport that you're going to have to do is going to be or who knows what like the stability problem that you run into is gonna, like there's a definitely a certain amount of uncertainty and you have to have that ability to like jump off the cliff and be like yeah mm -hmm. we'll figure it out on the way down Right. I think sometimes people and I think, again, this is one of the reasons it didn't happen in the community. Sometimes people want to have the complete roadmap yeah. before they go embark on the journey. And, and I think this is just one of those ones where you just aren't going to have the roadmap. Right. Uh, you're going to have to figure it out as you go. So, you know, part of it was just like me reassuring my team that it was going to be OK. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that you mentioned before, obviously, you mentioned a lot of great things, but something that stood out to me was a lot of the organizations that are going to be really interested in LTS 
to your point are those enterprises. Because, you know, when I think of like, for example, you know, I've worked in 10 person startups and I've worked in government and I've worked in very, very large organizations. And for the very, very large organizations, it appeared that eight times out of 10, the reason why they went with X technology or X stack, because they really liked the idea of having that enterprise support paid option. Maybe they never used it. Maybe it was awful. Whatever the case may be, they just really liked that cushion. It felt comfortable to have that paid support option. So it's ironic because I can foresee this where a lot of organizations moving forward and a lot of engineers moving forward, it's not going to be just a conversation now of, hey, do we want AKS, GK, or EKS or whatever because of this technical option or this feature that's available? The next, like, there's going to be a new conversation of who has LTS support. Oh, yeah. And the CTO and the VP of engineering and the CSO and everybody is going to be like, well, these people over here, they got the LTS support and that's comfy. We like that. So we're going to choose it because of that. I think one of the things Microsoft is good at is is understanding, you know, the enterprise requirements and the enterprise needs, because I don't think it's just about the comfort level, although I think that's part of it. But I think it's also because consistency for a large organization makes it easier to do things at scale. Right. right. So if you have to worry about making sure all your CVEs are patched across your entire fleet of applications, if everybody's on the same version of Kubernetes, you only have to check one set of CVEs. You don't have to check 20 different sets of CVEs. Right. And so I think we see this consistency driving a lot of value for those customers as well, because at the end of the day, they just want to write applications. Right. Right. And have them be reliable and have them be secure. Right. And I don't think they're particularly, I mean, and maybe this is what you were talking about earlier about kind of getting past that like early adopter. What version are you on? Are you on the latest mm-hmm. kind of hype? Customers today of Kubernetes, they don't care about it at some level. They see it as a tool that is providing value for them. It's not like a badge of honor that they're like, you know, putting on there on, on the sta- on the laptop or whatever. Right. <laughs> and I think LTS is a part of that because it means that like they can kind of forget about it for a while. You know, they can make the decision, get set and then forget about it and focus on their apps. I think we have a real focus in AKS actually about being the best enterprise platform for Kubernetes. And mm-hmm. it extends in a bunch of different directions and security and identity and policy. We've made a huge investment actually earlier than the LTS work. We, Azure made a big investment in what became Gatekeeper, the mm-hmm. open policy agent for Kubernetes, right. because we knew it's not just about you know locking to specific versions. It's also about being able to say on the other side, like you can't deploy containers that are from Docker Hub, or you can't deploy containers that are from some mm-hmm. random image mm-hmm. registry. You have to be deploying containers from our corporate registry, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, you see this. I see the same thing in like something like NPM, right? Where NPM, you can modify the NPM to be like, no, I want to have a private registry of all my re- of all my packages, so I'm not dependent on the internet. I think anytime mm-hmm. you go into these kinds of large scale environments, those are the things that are necessary for, to maintain any sort of sane security or or consistency program. Totally. I'm wondering if this can actually help some customers in in a way to get their upgrades routines better because from what I've seen and I am also I'm coming from like developer side of things as well I have seen the change from .NET framework to .NET core and .NET LTS version and how that affected many customers as well for them even 3 years 
upgrade routine after seven, eight, ten years was like a disaster because they were, it was like, how how are we going to do this right now? It's a lot of non-billable work that we would yeah, yeah. need to do internally, like a technical debt, right? And and kind of, I have seen the same also with, with Kubernetes, uh, both AKS, like managed Kubernetes service in general, that customers then decide not to do it. Okay, we take that risk. Okay, we may go out of support, but it has been stable, has been working for some time. And then in that sense, they also put their system kind of out there for that security risk. It becomes higher because they're not patching anything. They're not doing, maybe they're cautious in terms of the auto-upgrade strategy. Even I've seen customers still not willing to have that even just for patching yeah. maybe having an lts version given that option it is still longer than every year so maybe it will give some kind of okay every second year doing that upgrade is yeah. still longer so many customers will actually get better at it just due to that sense of safety of it being a bit longer yeah no i hope so because i think right now what the trouble is that if you're one of those customers who's gone sort of out of support either in a managed service or in a or in an open source like there is no upgrade path you can do it sort of if you try hard but like it's a very hard upgrade path and so most people when they get that far out they actually do a clean room like create a new cluster migrate everything across which is also much more expensive so not only do they sort of go into this insecure place from cbs but they kind of defer it even further because they're like oh it's even more expensive i don't want to pay that price Mm -hmm. um so i'm hopeful that that will help it is a two directional street too, right? Like I think, we, as I said, like I think we do need to kind of have a conversation with people and say, you know, one of the things I, I sometimes say when I'm just arguing the other side to people is I ask them like, what's the version of your web browser? And nobody can tell you what the version of your, their web browser is, <laughs> right? And, and it used to be really important. Like you used to be like, oh, I'm on Internet Explorer 11 or, you know, whatever, like you knew. And then at a certain point, people, you know, and Word is the same way. Like, what's your version of Word? Well, it kind of doesn't have a version, right? (laughs) And, you know, so I I think that there's, it's it's a two-directional street, right? Like, I think you can't continuously churn people, but we also have to kind of move people towards a world where maybe they say, I'm using Kubernetes as opposed to, I'm using Kubernetes Mm 1.24. But obviously we're not there right now. And so I think we have to kind of do both and and maybe do both at the same time and, and we'll end up somewhere. Because yeah, like in another world, like another part of my team, I don't just do... Kubernetes on Azure. Um, I do a bunch of other the services, and we're sell- selling extended support for Windows 2012. Ten years past <laughs> when it was released, and there's a whole bunch of people who are lining up to to buy extended support. You know, and it's great that we do it, right? I think it reflects on our desire to support the customer. But at yeah. the same time, you're kind of like, ten years, wow, yeah. <laughs> you know? right? Um, kind of. I mean, like that. It makes me sort of embarrassed when I'm like. Yeah, our LTS is two years. You know, like (laughs) the Windows Server people, the Windows Server people don't like. There's not a lot of respect. (laughs) No, I thought you were about to say they're almost getting a heart attack or something here in like two years. (laughs) Well, exactly. No, exactly. Like the window, the people who have to do it for 2012 or whatever. Like they're like, you have no idea. (laughs) You have no idea. The leadership piece in you wants to say, no, makes sense. Let's extend this, you know, more profit, yada, yada. And then the engineer side is like, get off, get off of 2012, just do the upgrade already. We strongly encourage people to move, but we understand that some people can't, right? Right. That it's hard and it's expensive, as as was said. Like, I don't think there's anybody, I mean, I don't know, I probably shouldn't speak for the server team, but like, I think everybody would say, 
you are better off being on, you know, a modern <laughs> Windows server. Right. Yeah. To both of your points around the upgrades, I mean, I think that this will definitely help even the overall adoption of Kubernetes. Because like, when I first spun up Kubernetes, I was lucky enough to work in a startup in 2016 that really just like wanted the latest and greatest. So the conversation was, you know, at that point, the conversation was, you know, Swarm or Kubernetes. And we ended up going Kubernetes. But the upgrade, the first upgrade we did, oh, that was painful. Now the upgrades are so much easier, especially in managed Kubernetes services, but you'll still go on Reddit and you'll still see recent posts that somebody did a Kubernetes upgrade and they were like, oh, this was painful. So I think the ability to have that LTS is definitely going to help that adoption because even in my consulting practice, when I'm implementing Kubernetes for the first time for organizations, they're like, we're hearing that the upgrades are really rough. And then I go into that. It's better than it was, <laughs> but, but the LTS piece will definitely help. Today's sponsor, Doit, can help you with your cloud challenges. Maybe you want to maximize your cloud use while controlling your costs. Perhaps the issue is balancing resource utilization while delivering agile IT. Maybe you just can't get good support from your cloud partners. Doit can help. An award-winning strategic partner of Google Cloud and AWS, Doit works with over 3,000 customers to save them time and money. Doit combines intelligent software with expert consultancy and unlimited support to deliver cloud at peak efficiency with ease. The Doit team knows multi-cloud, cloud analytics, optimization, governance, Kubernetes, AI, and more. Work with Doit to optimize your cloud investment so you can stay focused on business growth. Learn more at doit.com. That's D-O-I-T dot com. It is still a challenge. I mean, one of the things that we've done recently in, in AKS is we'll actually scrape through your API server logs and we will block an upgrade if we see that you're using APIs that are going to be deprecated in the next version. We'll actually kick you an error message and say, like, we're not we're going to refuse to upgrade you because we see that a day ago you used this V1 beta one API. Here's the user agents. Because like what, what what we've seen a lot of the problems come from, it's not the core components it's not even the applications oftentimes it's like some operator that they installed right you know they installed some operator is talking a particular version it's frozen in time honestly they really usually don't understand like exactly what the operator is doing like from their perspective the operator is like magic happens and a database shows up or whatever right and when you explain it to them it makes sense but like they don't think oh that thing's talking to the kubernetes api server and it's locked on a particular version because it was built at a particular time and of course like the kubernetes upgrade is not going to touch that thing because it sees it as workload it doesn't see it like we have a set of stuff that we package into aks and we'll upgrade that stuff but if you installed some other operator we see that as your workload you don't you see it as some utility that you installed and that's where a lot of the breaks that we saw were coming from and so we we did a bunch of work to kind of proactively look for problems ahead of the upgrade to give people a better experience on upgrade and it's hard it's like any other thing it's like it's never one thing it's always like you know okay 10% of the failures came from this and 3% of the failures mm -hmm. came from this and then you prioritize the list and you just sort of burn down like how do we f make that experience better how do we make this experience better um so and it's an ongoing ongoing project too so. that's freaking cool though i really love that yeah well i, I mean to, to be honest like it's selfish too right because like <laughs> it's way better for that customer to have that experience than to call our right. support totally right yeah. cheaper yeah. better uh, everyone's happier right and right. like my engineers don't get paged to be like why did this upgrade fail 
<laughs> customer is happy because we point them at exactly what they need to do to fix it. Yeah, it's definitely kind of a win-win. That's a beautiful thing because there's a really great part about Kubernetes and there's a really bad part. The really great part is it's like a house. You know, it's like a house that a builder just put up. You get to put this plugin in and this and that. And, you know, just like you're putting this bathroom in and these light fixtures and yada, yada. It's very extendable. And that's the whole point. Bad part is, is that it's really extendable. <laughs> so right, right. People, you know, will like to your point, implement this operator and, you know, or this CRD or whatever it is, they're going to extend the API. They're going to utilize it. And then before you know it, you may have these out of date plugins and these out of date CRDs and operators that may not work with the latest version or may not work properly. So it's like, then you have to kind of go back and do this whole haul of like, what did we implement? Because yeah, yeah. this doc over here just told me to install this Helm chart and I would be good to go. And before you know it, 500 engineers said the same thing and you got everything out of date and you're like, oh, what do you got to do? So I really love the idea that AKS is like, nah, you can't do this because you got to go upgrade this thing over here. We were all about using containers to remove Snowflake machines, right? And, and so now we've just created a bunch of like Snowflake clusters. <laughs> exactly. It's better for sure, but it definitely is the case that you're like, oh my God, we have this Cartesian product of the world where like practically no cluster looks the same. And again, yeah. that's part of the reason why we implement things like policy so that at least within a single company, you can sort of be like, look, we're not going to use Flux and Argo. Right. 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 <laughs> They're both pretty good, but we're going to decide on one. And and I think that's important too. Like, I think sometimes people get in these like philosophical arguments of like, no, no, I'm like, you know, we saw this in Java or .NET, right? Like people, and you're like, honestly, if you take a step back, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you can argue for one or the other and that's fine. And, but I think sometimes there's just value in the consistency of choosing one thing and sticking with it, right? Because then that's you totally. don't, you just reduce the complexity at least a little bit. Yeah, no, totally, a hundred percent, and and I think that's what Christina and I really enjoy about the co this podcast that we've built overall because we're never saying like this product, go with this one, go with that one. Like we're always saying the same thing, which is, what are you trying to solve? Oh, you want to implement a GitOps controller because you want your you know source control to be your desired state and currency, and think about what actual problem you want to solve. Once you find out that problem and you nail it down a hundred percent. Whatever product you use, hopefully nobody gets mad at me for saying this, but it really doesn't matter all that much because it's kind of the same thing at the end of the day. It's really about what problem do you want to solve? But to your point, Brendan, like everybody's like, well, we want to use this product because of this or because of that. Yeah, they're kind of doing the same thing. Just figure out the business problem first and then move on. Yeah. Well, and I've also always said, to, I always say to people like the one that somebody else supports is better than anything else. <laughs> yeah. right? like, like, you know, you can have opinions, but if someone else is willing to be on call for it, like choose that one. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> so true. Because even today, I, I think we still have the same thing around like people running storage and Kubernetes and stuff like that, where it's like, yeah, you can definitely run storage. And Helm or whatever will make it super easy for you to install Mongo or install Cassandra or whatever. Doesn't mean you want to operate it. Like just because it would took, you know, and I think this is actually kind of the danger you're talking about too, which is that like if it went in that easy, right? If you can go to a web page and be like Helm install this, you know, it used to be hard. Like, I'm like, it used to be hard to set up a clustered database. Right? And by the time you were done, you kind of had some respect for the thing. I think it's so easy now. Like, 
People are like, I'm a server scale DBA. And you're like, no, you ran a Helm command. Right? It's almost like the whole concept of cloud that now we are facing the cost management issues because it has become so easy to just provision it all. We can just provision so many uh, Kubernetes clusters, yeah. for instance, and just spin up whatever uh, whatever we want there. And then everyone does it. And then you get hundreds of thousands billing costs every month. And then you're trying to figure out how how do we stop this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I think that's one of the interesting things we've seen is that um, I think when we started the project, we thought it was going to be like, you know, one or two clusters of 10,000 nodes, right? Because that's what you're used to. If you're building physical infrastructure, that's kind of what you're used to because it's hard to build physical infrastructure, right? So you set it up once and then you let it go and you just grow it. Um, but we see the exact opposite, right? Which is that organizations have hundreds or even thousands of clusters, but they're all relatively small. And so then, so like the problems are no longer, how do we build giant clusters? Although obviously AI and otherwise build these giant clusters, but we also put a ton of energy into like, how do you manage lots of clusters, right? So we've built this fleet manager for helping people manage lots and lots of fleets. We do policy to help people ensure that all of the clusters look the same. They're not problems that I think we thought we were going to have to solve in the beginning of the project, right? because, you know, we just imagine there'd be one or two. When you have 50, suddenly it's like, oh, mm -hmm. wow, like we you really need to make sure that they look the same. Like you can't have 14 different service meshes and you can't have, uh, you know, a bunch of other different ways of doing GitOps or whatever else. And right? so it's it's been an interesting journey to kind of, and it is because of the cloud. It is because it's like, I can click a button or I can run a CLI command and like this cluster pops up. Something that you said earlier and what you just mentioned just now, Two things. So what you said earlier was, you know, a lot of enterprises, yeah. they know that Kubernetes is there and they know that they want to use it, but they kind of don't want to care. And to your point of what you just said of, you know, there are a million different tools that can do the same thing. We kind of need this standard. Like we know we want to implement GitOps. We know we want to implement cost and resource optimization. We know we want to implement scaling. And we know that there are a million ways to do it, but we want some standard because at the end of the day, we know that we want to do it but we don't want to care about the underlying piece. And in your opinion, do you believe that this is where platform engineering will kind of come to shine in the sense that we're going to be managing the things on top of Kubernetes, but underneath, like we know that it's Kubernetes, but we're kind of not going to care. Same thing with like Kubernetes worker nodes. Like we know that there are probably Ubuntu boxes underneath and these Ubuntu boxes have versions that need to get patched and managed, but we're never talking about that. We're talking about the worker nodes. So we're talking about what's on top, what's not underneath. Yeah, we're definitely seeing that, I think, in larger companies that they're creating you know, a platform team that's really focusing on, like, they'll be the ones who care about that. And I, and I actually think that that's one of the value propositions that containers generally enabled for us, which is somebody's going to care about that Ubuntu. And, and if you're in a managed service, oftentimes it's the cloud that cares about the Ubuntu. And then somebody's going to care about the cluster, and then somebody's going to care about the platform layer on top of the cluster. But the great thing about it is like that's like 10% of your developers, maybe, or less, right? And then there's all of these application teams who can just rely on the fact that if I push something into this Git repository, this GitHub action runs, pushes something out, you know, or Flux comes along and picks it up or Argo or whatever, right? And I mean, sure, they probably know that it's Kubernetes down there, but they don't really know. Like all th their experience is files go in, app gets updated, people are happy, right? And it's empowering too. I think like, I think sometimes developers, especially like, you know, people who are really used to doing it all themselves kind of are like, I don't want people making decisions for me. But like, you know, I think ultimately, actually, you get to stand on the shoulders of a lot of expertise, right? So you can walk up to Grafana's 
you know, dashboards today and you can get a really, really good Kubernetes dashboard. And I know that I could probably spend a bunch of time and I could build one myself, but boy, is it nice to be able to click a button and have this like well thought out opt dashboard pop out. And I think that's the beauty of platform engineering. It's like a lot of people could do the work, but why, right? Like at the end of the day, you want to build an application and like if someone else has built a really great pipeline for you, I think that's a good thing. So we're definitely seeing that happen. Um, it also democratizes it, which I think is really great too, because it means that you know people can have best practices for rollout and best practices for you know uh, testing and things like that without having to necessarily figure out how to do it themselves. I think it's really, really valuable for a lot of different reasons. I do think the one thing we're missing, I sorry to riff a little bit, I keep hoping that we're going to come up with something kind of like the LAMP stack. Or the platform engineering. I don't think we have a really good guidebook mm-hmm. that sort of gives. Because the thing I loved about LAMP was that, like, it is prescriptive, but it wasn't, like, super prescriptive. You know, you could be like, well, you know, they said it's, you know, LAMP and the M is MySQL or whatever. But if I want SQL Server in there, it's really the same thing, mm-hmm. right? Or if I'm not going to use PHP, I'm going to use JSP or, a, you know, uh, ASP or whatever, right? It's really, it's the same thing. It's the same idea. We can all have a conversation about it. And... I don't think we've seen that emerge yet for Kubernetes, that sort of like loose uh, structure for people where where you could kind of be like, well, there's a GitOps thing and there's a, you know, this other thing, because it's either very, very prescriptive, like here's my stack. If you want it, great. But if you need to swap out anything else, good luck. Or it's like, here's the like the CNCF eye chart of however many thousand icons, like have fun, yeah. you know, I think there's a need for something in between. Yeah. Do you think we'll get there? Do you think that there will be something in between? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, the answer is I don't know. I mean, I, I keep I, there's these places where I keep feeling like it was going to happen and it doesn't happen. Right, <laughs> right? Right. Um, I mean, I think part of it is, I mean, as stupid as it is, like part of it is just figuring out what the clever acronym is. <laughs> right. I mean, I'm dead serious. Right. Like, I mean, if you called LAMP, if LAMP hadn't good, you know, like it wouldn't have worked. Right. And there is a ton of heterogeneity. There's more heterogeneity now than there was back then, I think, also. More opinions. I think back then, it was still in the early days of the internet. And, like, you know, people were just looking for anything. Right? <laughs> just like, they were like, please tell me anything, right? Like, you know, as opposed to, I think, now, a lot of people have opinions. There's a lot of vested interests in my project succeeding or that project, you know, some other project succeeding, So, which makes it trickier. Um, it's too much stuff. Too much. A stuff. lot of stuff, right? There's yeah. a lot of stuff. It's good. I mean, it's good. But I think also, like, we have to figure out how we focus. Right. I mean, I think one of the things that, that someone pointed this out to me a long time ago, Brian Cantrell, uh, who, who is formerly of Joyant and overall cool guy, you should get him on your on the podcast, actually, if you get a chance. But he said, you know, GitHub is Instagram for the developer community. <laughs> and I was like, it had never occurred to me before, but I was like, wow, that's really true. Right. And I think so part of the reason I think we have so many projects is because it's social media, right? right? Like you're like, I want my project. Like I, like, I want to show everybody my project, you know, yeah. like, just like, I'm like going to take pictures of my food and put it on Instagram or whatever. <laughs> and, and so I think that contributes, right? Because it's like, well, if I have a choice between going to somebody else's project or building my own project, you know, maybe I'm going to go build my own project because I want to like show off rather than be part of somebody else's. So it's hard, I think, sometimes to build that community, you know, and rally. And it's also just hard work, too. Like I will say that having done a lot of community development in the Kubernetes community, it's hard work to build those right. communities. You know? right. um, so I don't know. I will. I keep hoping. I think we'll get there. I think we'll get there. But fingers uh, crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> <laughs> Just last reflection, if it's just me or maybe maybe I'm wrong, but 
to me, it feels like when I started, when I started studying computer science, we have had this topic about like the history, how it all started, how complicated it was, how how much more difficult it was to do programming, right? How much more mathematical knowledge, let's say, you would need to have to be able to perform the the calculations and everything. And that was difficult. And we talk about that things are much more easier now compared to that time. But sometimes I'm not sure if it is because every single project I end up in, we hear about complexity. Even with Kubernetes, so many projects, organizations do not know which tools to choose out of that CNCF landscape, for instance, like you mentioned, Brendan. It's terrifying. You don't know which ones to choose because you're not sure if it will succeed for your specific project or if the project will keep being popular and supported in in five years, right? So then many organizations kind of roll back to trying to reinvent the wheel and build something themselves that they feel they have more control of. And then the complexity grows because you need to maintain a lot of things yourself and kind of develop them further. So sometimes for me, it feels like maybe we are repeating the iterations and the challenges from the past in a way, even yeah. though we're trying to make things easier. No, I totally think that's true. Like, I think that we did a lot of iterating to get to a really pretty good experience for single processes on single machines. And I sorry, sometimes I say like the apex of development power was maybe 1998 where you're developing a single GUI application on a single machine and you have a stepping debugger and like you have all this stuff. And I think with distributed systems, we have sort of taken a major step back in terms of developer and developer productivity and mm-hmm. added complexity and all that kind of stuff. I mean, one of the things I like to say is that like, it took a really long time to get to that point in 1998. You know, if you imagine development starting in the 60s, like it takes a very long time for people to figure out like all of the different pieces that you need to get to that moment. And so I like to believe that maybe we have at least another 10 years to like try and make it easier before like we're behind the people who created. And and the tools do get developed. I mean, I think you would say you can look at like object-oriented programming, C++, like C++ as a first step towards reusable components and teams that can share code between themselves or even share code you know, between uh, companies and then manage languages so people didn't have to worry about memory errors and stuff like that. And then, you know, IDEs really full-fledged. I mean, the IDE doesn't really exist until the 1990s, right? The mid-1990s. So like, I think we're going to go through that same kind of thing. I think Kubernetes was a step forward, but it's not the only step, right? There's going to mm. be other tools and ideas that people have to develop in order to get us there yeah we're in the awkward phase right now in some sense we are right i I think we're in sort of the like i'm old enough that i remember every dos program that you ran had a different implementation of buttons had a different implementation of menus had a different printer driver i mean like it literally just talked to the parallel port to talk to the printer right like and then at some point the operating system comes along and says no no don't worry about it here's the printer interface printers will go up to here and you'll just talk to this interface and then you'll be okay and same thing with mice and you know windows and buttons and all that stuff and like I do think we are in that awkward like everybody gets to DIY it phase right I mean and I also remember like when the patterns books came out and I mean, this is right when I was getting started in the news industry but like the gang of four software design patterns and people were suddenly like oh like there's this oh, oh like object oriented design went through this whole moment when people are like, oh, actually, there is a good way to write software, right? As opposed to just throwing things against the wall. And I think we're still in the like the distributed system side. We're still in the like, you know, <laughs> do it in the wall, throw it up against the wall and see what happens, right? We don't have any patterns. Yep. 
Yeah, no, totally True. agree. Let's stay positive. That's the conclusion. <laughs> oh, and it's going to get better. It's going to get the better. discussion. <laughs> right. It'll get better. I have confidence it will get better. If Brandon <laughs> has that confidence, then... Yeah. Uh, That's it. But I have so been thinking that for 10 years also. So. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, that changes everything. <laughs> Well, luckily, 10 years isn't a long time. Uh, <laughs> so before we start wrapping up here, Christina, did you have any last questions for Brendan? That was a very good discussion. I uh, think that uh, that could be, that will be really exciting. I think the first version, maybe that's worth mentioning, like in AKS where the LTS is supported. I think if I'm not mistaken, it's 127. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, and you can start using that on AKS today. It's out there today. So we're, we're pretty excited. And again, I said, we're very excited to see the community momentum as well, because I think that's how we turn it into something that benefits everybody. Awesome. Very cool. So at this point, Brendan, I'd like to give you the opportunity to plug away anything that you'd like, anything that you're working on or any blogs or anything like that. Put me on the spot now. I mean, I think we <laughs> talked about the thing that I'm most excited about, which is the LTS, but maybe I'll just talk about what I talked about at the beginning, which is I do think we really need to come together as a community to figure out how we make it easier to build these distributed systems. I think it does require people to kind of approach it that way, like in a selfless community kind of way, as opposed to a like, I'm going to do my project and it's going to be the most awesome. So I guess maybe that's my plug is, is to say like, let's try and focus on how we can build these patterns in a community oriented fashion that benefits everybody. Cause then we'll, we'll all get better, right? Like we'll all do better if we stop having to make all these decisions ourselves. Cool. Well, Brendan, thank you so much for being on. Really appreciate it. Christina, as always, thank you for being here. Thank you, Michael, yeah. for hosting this episode together with me. I think we will also add the link to the LTS uh, repo as well for the community to check out. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Brendan. And thanks, everyone.